The Natural Hat Trick with Luke Lipinski, Craig Morgan, and Jamie Eisner. Welcome to episode 259 of the Natural Hat Trick podcast alongside Craig Morgan. You have no idea if it's 259, do you? And Jamie Eisner. He really has no idea if it's 259. I don't. I'm Luke Lipinski. I did do a little research. It was only on that. I, I... at least in the context of the last three episodes, this is episode 259. Now, they all could be off by 15 episodes, for all I know. But for consistency's sake, last week was 258, so here we are. And we have a Stanley Cup. We have a cup final, a non-traditional cup final. Much to Canada's delight. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody showed me, Jamie will appreciate this, there's already a prop bet out next year of you take either a Canadian team to win the cup or an American team to win the cup. There's already odds on that for next season. Uh, American. I'm going with American. Yeah. We'll yeah get, don't get great odds that way. Well, I'm surprised Dallas actually that there weren't more of those bets before. Like there's always yeah. that like AFC winner versus NFC winner. Uh, yeah. Super Bowl bets that you can do a while out for really no good reason. I think this one's much more compelling. This one, I think, they can take a lot like, of money from Canadians. That's all I'm saying. Big <laughs> opportunity there. That's true. American money, taking American money from Canadians. Is, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so here we go. We've got uh, Dallas and Tampa Bay. Game one is tomorrow as we record this. I think we should start with Dallas, a team that none of us had in the Stanley Cup. Uh, at the start of the year, I remember at least myself doubting that. I figured, I mean, they were a playoff team, obviously, but not that they were much more than that. And they've completely flipped how they play hockey ever since we got in the bubble. So I, the bubble stars are much different than the Dallas stars. And I'm going to have a hard time picking against them at this point, but we can get to that later. What do you guys think of this team now? I, yeah, I completely agree with you. They're, they're not the team that we watch. I mean, they, they still do a lot of things defensively the same and they can choke the life out of a game. Sometimes it's not all that entertaining to watch, but not like the if, Islanders. No, not like the Islanders. Yeah. Thank goodness. We don't have a Dallas Islanders final, lots of two, one, one, nothing games. Um, but they're, they found their scoring touch and they have, they have exciting players up front. They have guys that we didn't, well, I mean, Miro Heiskin is a guy that I think people more, more people need to know about as one of the best young defensemen in the, in the game, but they've had some unexpected stars rise. I've always loved Joe Pavelski. So it would be cool to see him get a cup. Um, they're, they're, they are. They're a different team right now, and and I agree with you. I am. I'm not comfortable picking against this team. I don't. I don't think it's assumed that Tampa Bay is going to win this cup. No, it's definitely not assumed anymore, just because of the way Dallas has played. Uh, and look, the one thing they were missing in the regular season the last couple of years was any sort of meaningful, consistent scoring touch. I mean, they've always played a strong, tight game. They've always played good defensive hockey the last couple of years, but they were never able to get enough goals to keep up with the top teams in the league. So when they ran into the postseason, particularly later rounds, they just couldn't keep up. And now they are. And that that makes them an unbelievably potent team. I'm still, I mean, I know we're not doing predictions quite yet, but I, I still don't, I still don't feel like I can pick them to win this. I still don't think they're the more talented team in this series. I, I don't think they have a goaltending advantage, which is something you could have argued in the previous three series for them that they don't have anymore. Um, barring that weird decision to play Ben Bishop after not playing for like 18,000 weeks. But uh, I don't think they have that. I don't think they have an advantage in net. Um, I still think the lightning can outscore them, particularly if Steven Stamkos can come back and play. If brain point is healthier, 
and there's nobody's completely healthy at this point, but healthier um, will be extremely important for them. It's going to be a close series, though. This is not what I would have expected. If I if this game would have been in the regular season, I would have been like, oh yeah, the the Lightning are going to smoke them. But I think this is going to be a long series because Dallas now finally has the one thing they were missing and the one key piece that they needed to get over the hump, and they're going to be in this. They really are. I don't what, see Steven Samkos playing in the series. It doesn't sound like he's going to play in the series. Um, but to me, the, the other guy you mentioned is a, is a key here. I don't think Braden Point's healthy. Um, he, I think he played through something in the last game. He's, he's not the same guy. That's a big factor in this series because if, if Braden Point is 100%, I think that matters a lot. That helps Tampa Bay's chances a lot. And the fact that this is a quick turnaround makes it really tough on Tampa because he's not going to get time to rest. What exactly happened to Vegas? I mean, I, I watched that series, and Vegas won what was a game two, three, nothing. All the other games were one goal games, and that's sort of why that's sort of why I'm leaning towards Dallas and the Stanley Cup. Even though I agree, Tampa Tampa to me is the much more talented team. I think Vegas was a more talented team than Dallas too. And I don't know if Vegas just got thrown off by those last couple of games against Vancouver, where they couldn't score on Demko, and then all of a sudden they couldn't score on Kudobin. I don't know if they just got to the point where they were every shot had to be perfect, or they were just collectively in a scoring slump, or if it's just simply a fact that Dallas believes that they're going to win every game, whether they're losing with five seconds left or not. I mean, they they do have that sort of it variable right now, where if you have a one goal lead with Dallas on Dallas with a minute left, you cannot possibly feel safe. It's it feels like it's fifty fifty that they'll tie it. And that's not something that's been a characteristic of this team in the past. I mean, I think that's it's so interesting because I think we're seeing this as well. And I don't follow the NBA as closely as as many, but we're starting to see a little bit of that as well of teams that have completely shifted their style of play and their narrative around them from the regular season to the bubble scene. And I don't know how to look at this Dallas team right now because if I'm about Miami, by the way. Yes, Miami in particular. Uh, I mean, I, and but this Dallas team is just like I. I mean, we keep saying the Tampa's a more talented team, and I agree. But as you to your point, Luke, so is Vegas, and they handled them fairly simply. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, they were close games, but they took care of business. So I was a little surprised to see right now Tampa Bay is being such heavy favorites in the series. Like right now, they're minus two hundred um, to win the series, which means you have to bet two hundred dollars to win a hundred. Uh, Dallas plus 170. I was a little surprised to see it that high. I mean, that's a that's a margin that I would expect given the Dallas Stars team that came into the bubble, not the Dallas Stars team that we have seen over the last couple months. Yeah, Tampa has higher end skill than Vegas has. I think Vegas Vegas has a good good core of uh, forwards, a lot of depth up front, but they don't have you know the high end that Tampa has, and I I, I guess that's probably the reason why they're favored. Although by by that by that margin it seems crazy but again going back to the health I, I i i think that's really something that needs to be watched because nikita kucherov isn't fully healthy either so when you're talking about two of your most elite offensive players dallas is a physical team anyway they know that they're gonna they're gonna be heavy on those players and that to me is the thing to watch in this series um if dallas can establish that same style of play against tampa that it has through the other rounds you got a very good chance of winning the cup I just I think there really is something to that that part of the game you can't measure and even going all the way back to what was that game six against Calgary where Dallas is down three nothing and they win seven three I mean how many times did we see them down by multiple goals and come back to beat Colorado even in game seven they were down by a goal late and they came back and scored like ten seconds later to tie it even in game five against Vegas to knock Vegas out it was two nothing Vegas and then Dallas comes back with two goals late and you get to overtime with the Stars you can just go ahead and assume you're going to lose so. 
I, I, I agree. I mean, if this was Tampa and Vegas, I would say Tampa is much more talented than Vegas, but I don't think Dallas is, is even at the level of Vegas. And yet they, they just keep winning and they're just on a run right now. I mean, there's no hotter team in hockey, even though Tampa Bay has won as many games as Dallas has in these playoffs. I don't know. I, I, and I would at least say they're not as boring as they were earlier this season. So I don't think it's like, I'm looking forward to the Stanley cup. It's not going to be a grind where every game is one, nothing or two to one. And there's not a lot of scoring chances. Dallas is a fun team to watch right now. I just, I'm, I'm sort of baffled how they, how they flipped their playing style successfully and are now at this point, because they've taken out at least two very good teams and Calgary is a decent team too. So who do you guys, if you had to identify at this point, and we, we talk about this, we haven't actually done this that much through the postseason this year, but if you had to identify your consmite leaders at this point, who would you name? Tyskinen. Yeah, he's, he's it for Dallas for me. And then, uh, I mean, I, you got to look at Kucherov and, and Braden Point for Tampa. I think Braden Point, if I'm not mistaken, is averaging the most points per game in this postseason. Um, so if he's healthy and can contribute in the, the cup final, I got to believe he's in the conversation as well. Yeah, he has 20, 25 points in 17 games, but he also has – he only has two game-winning goals, but they're both in overtime. It feels like he has like seven game-winning goals in these playoffs. But, yeah, his, he's got one less point than Kucherov, who leads everybody, but he's played two less games. Yeah, and I forgot about Nathan McKinnon, who, of course, has the most points per game in this postseason. But yeah, it's, but yeah. It's, it's too bad, by the way. Uh, I would rather still see a Colorado-Tampa Bay final. That would have been an unbelievable final to watch. Yeah. It, and yeah. We, we came very close to that. We'll maybe, see next Maybe year. next year. Yeah. Uh, there you go, Luke. Uh, if Dallas wins, it gets really interesting because Heiskanen's probably the favorite right now, but, but Jamie Benn's having a really, really strong postseason. Gorianov feels like he scores only humongous goals every time he gets the opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, even Joe Pavelski's been playing really well. So, I mean, a, a, one of those guys goes off for four or five goals in the series, I could easily see one of them winning it. I think it's, it's a little bit more wide open on Dallas's side if they end up taking home the cup than it will be on Tampa's where we kind of really know the top two. Although I guess I wouldn't rule out um, Hedman, but I always feel like this is going to be a offensive player points type of award. Victor Hedman always gets overlooked. He's always he's like a, a bridesmaid yes. all the time, just not appreciated yes. enough. Yeah, funny because he's like eight feet tall. Just, the end of the game, <laughs> one of the games against the Islanders that the Islanders won – and now I can't remember. I think it was Pajot who scored the empty net goal at the end, and Kucherov was skating behind him, just like hooking him and hooking him, and he finally just hacked him on the ankle. And and Pajot turns around and they start fighting, and there's this brawl behind the net until Hedman comes up, and he just like he's a giant compared to everybody else. He's just picking guys out and setting them in the corner to break up the fight. I mean, he's he's been outstanding. And if Tampa wins, to me, he's been their most valuable player. But I agree, he probably wouldn't get the con Smythe just because of the offensive numbers. Although. For what he does, he's still got decent offensive numbers. He's just on a team with a lot of guys that can score. Um, you guys mentioned this, and Craig, we were talking about this before we went on the air, but, I mean, as, as far as non-traditional Stanley Cups, where both teams are from the Sun Belt, this is really the first one. It is the first one. I, mean, I think we talked about Colorado not really being a non-traditional market since they've had college hockey and youth hockey forever. So this is the first one. And I'm sure there are a lot of people in even traditional markets in America, let alone Canadian markets that aren't all that happy about this. Yeah, they can get over it. Like to me, <laughs> this is, it, it's odd. And maybe it's because we've covered a team in a non-traditional market for a while now, but none of, but I guess aside from, from Luke, not, you know, we're, Craig and I originally came from more traditional quote unquote hockey markets, but I don't understand how you can be 
I mean, we, we can make the jokes about TV ratings and NBC kind of, you know, wishes it was, you know, Boston versus somebody else. But when you play, if you've watched the, the Stanley Cup playoffs this entire time, I don't know how you can be disappointed with the on ice product we're going to get for the series. Like, I don't know how you can be disappointed when two teams, given again, I would argue probably the most difficult path to the Stanley Cup that anybody's had to face, given just the circumstances of the world, the fact that these guys can't go home. They're all they're playing all road games, all neutral site games the entire time. Uh, I don't know how you look at this and go and, and are disappointed with what the end result's going to be. Like, I, I know there's all these narratives about, oh, you know, TV ratings or, you know, up in Canada wanting those markets, but this is not going to be a disappointing series. This is going to be really exciting. And unless you've already came in predisposed to hate one of these teams or both of these teams or hate certain markets, depending on where they're located in the United States, there's absolutely no reason to be upset with this finals matchup. Yeah, but there are plenty of people in that category. Yeah, well, they're stupid. Just, yeah. I, like uh, we talked Enjoy about, uh, what do you guys think about Colorado? Is Colorado a non-traditional market? Because in 96, the Avalanche swept the Florida Panthers. That's the only other cup final that you could even conceivably look at as a matchup of teams, two teams from non-traditional markets. No, I, I, I wouldn't consider Colorado a non-traditional yeah. market. No, no. I, I, I mean, either. I understand there's a small portion of Canada that doesn't like the Avalanche because they used to be Quebec. I get that. But, uh, but no, that's LOL. I mean, yeah, Quebec, LOL. I'm sorry, I should have used their full name. There's enough snow in Colorado. I, I'm pretty sure that's what qualifies someone as a traditional market or they have to be above a certain latitude or something. Um, yeah, because it gets into a lot of these discussions. Like, I don't, I know they're going to be the new team, but I don't think Seattle is a non traditional hockey market. There's been a robust hockey community in Seattle for some time. Right. So, I, are you talking about because it's non? Because I saw they got looped into somebody complaining about. Uh, shocking people in Canada were complaining about teams uh, hmm. I saw some article First screenshot that was going everything. around yeah some article screenshot going around Twitter about why is the NHL insistent on putting teams in in uh, Seattle and Arizona and Vegas when there are plenty of Canadian cities that would love these teams this narrative won't die yeah. um, one Vegas TV. has been an overwhelming success by yes. any single metric of any competent human being on the planet two Seattle is a, I don't understand. Like Seattle has a robust and had had a robust hockey market for some time. Like just because it's located South of the border does not make it a, and they just got an NHL team back does not make it a non-traditional market. Yeah. How many junior teams are play within three hours right. of, of right. Seattle Metro? They've had a right youth hockey Canada. program, a great youth hockey program for a really long time as well. That's that, that is definitely a hockey market. Just like Denver. I mean, the Uni- university of Denver has had a hockey program since I think 1949. This is a hockey market. So you, you, you can't, you can't categorize those markets as non-traditional. Well, I mean, and by the way, Colorado. Seattle is doing everything right as well. I mean, uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the expansion draft for them, but Everything else about that organization says first class. They're really doing it right. I think that's going to be a great franchise. Especially with Colorado. I mean, that's where the Olympic team trains. That's where the national yeah. developmental. I mean, that's, that's definitely – Colorado absolutely is, is, is a traditional I, – I hate the term, but it is a, a traditional I, hockey market. I have a question for you. Why, does, why do the Kings escape this conversation? Oh, I, they don't for me, but – I mean, but maybe it's because L.A. Market, is so big, I guess. It, it becomes Anaheim, Phoenix, Tampa Florida. Bay – Florida, uh, Carolina, Florida and Sunrise, Nashville, you know, Rally, like those are the cities that get yeah. talked about. Like I didn't realize that LA was any more traditional than any of those markets. But I, I think you hit on it earlier, though. It's because those, I, every one of those teams you just rattled off has has come into existence in the last twenty or thirty years. 
Whereas LA has been in the league forever. So they all just see like, Oh, there's a team in Tampa, but that team could be in Moose Jaw or there's a team in Vegas, but that team could be in Lethbridge. You know, Lethbridge. Lethbridge. Uh, was it like home of Rockland camera? Lethbridge. Saskatoon. Um, Saskatoon needs a team. Quebec needs a team. Yeah. Come on. Red deer. And yeah. Would you Hello. rather have a team in Halifax. Vegas or Moose Jaw? If you're, if yeah, you're the yeah. NHL. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, that's tough. But it, look, it, Attendance is still a big part, a bigger part of the gate for the NHL than it is for the other sports. Mm-hmm. We get that. But when you're looking to the future, you need to look beyond that and say, okay, well, we, we just got to think about attendance. No, you, you're thinking about TV rights. You're thinking about other revenue streams. So you can't talk small cities in Canada and think, yeah, that's going to move the meter for television. It's not. The, it's the other problem, not. too. You put the teams north of the border and they're never going to win the Stanley Cup. That's been proven now for <laughs> the last 27 too. years and counting. So we don't, <laughs> and, you and just the, don't need the same two teams at the south of the border winning every year. Yeah. And conversion rate taxes or other things that are smaller factors, but are considered in that process as well. Um, you know, you're not getting a $500 million expansion fee to put a, a team in a city of 3000. Like it's just not, it's not happening. That's just, there's nobody that's going to do that. Can you isolate um, that quote, Luke? I, I, I need to isolate that quote. Cause I really think that should be the tease for the podcast today. When we're talking about a non-traditional cup final, why do we like this? Well, here's one good reason quote from Luke Lipinski. Oh, you, you, put a team, you put a team north right. of the border, they're not going to win the cup anyway. I, isolating my own quote. That'll be it. Yes, I like that. But, but I, I, I think we've, we've seen kind it for of, the past 27 years. I think we've kind of settled on this non-traditional market thing in a sense of it's almost as much about when they came into the league as is their actual location. That, that's what it is. That really, I mean, it, it's, it, yeah, if you check both boxes, because how many teams were really, plus Gretzky played in LA, so on some level that's okay, I think, but. Yeah, all these other teams, it, they've all of those teams have come into the league's 1992 or later, right? Didn't Tampa come in in 91 or 92? So it's it's been all those those teams. Like, is San Jose considered a traditional hockey market? I would say at this point, probably, right? Because they're so far north. I don't know. Let me ask you this. About the actual Stanley Cup between Tampa and Dallas, if I told you this is going to be decided in five games, which I don't think it will be, but if I told you it was, which team would you say is more likely to win that quickly? Uh, wow, but that's tough. Uh, I, I'd, I'd probably say Dallas, actually. Yeah, yeah, I might actually. Just the way that they've the way that they've played, um, I, I I would say Dallas. Uh, I don't think this is going to be decided in four or five games. Uh, I think we're going to get a longer series. I hope we do, um, but I, that's a tough question because Dallas just smothers teams, and and they just they just suck the life out of you. And that's felt, felt like what happened with it when the, in that Vegas series. Yeah, and I just don't think – I mean, fair or not, I, if you told me one team is just going to fall apart down 2 nothing or something or down 3-1, I would say Tampa over Dallas. And it's not <laughs> even like I think Tampa's still at that point. I think they've sort of shaken that label at this point. But I just don't see Dallas believing they're out until the game the, – the elimination game is over. And even then, I could see them be like, no, we're not leaving the ice. We're still in this. Um, here, I got a couple of reviews. We haven't read reviews in a while. You want to hear these? Because one of them segues into something here. Uh, this is from C Faciana. TNH is an amazing podcast. They do not just talk about the coyotes. They cover the whole league and bring humor and knowledge that makes it an enjoyable listen. Wow. Look at that. It's a five-star review right there. Thank you. Can you say thanks to your mom? Can you thank your mom, please? (laughs) I assume that one was Jamie's mom. Um, and then this other one, this, uh, this is from Chris McCune three. So I don't know where the first two Chris McCunes were on this, but at least the third one had time to, to write in. Good listen. I actually really like that they just talk the latest hockey news and don't bring on a bunch of guests who I don't care about. That being said, I it would help to actually watch an Islanders game or two before opining on them. Florida and four and away, guys. Keep the content coming. Thanks, guys. 
Um, look, the Islanders went deeper than I thought they would. I have watched enough Islanders for this season, though, at this point. <laughs> they were a great story. <laughs> they were tough to watch. Uh yeah, and, and so, some of that was more of wishful thinking that the issues Florida had were going to somehow be solved, um, and then they weren't. Well, yeah, I think coming out of – a big if, one in net. If there hadn't been that four-month break, I think – I definitely got caught up in that qualifying round of thinking the, the teams with just more raw offensive talent would have success in the qualifying round, and the teams that are built more on a collective team effort like the Islanders – we're going to maybe it might take them a week or two to get everybody on the same page. And by then they'd be out, but uh, obviously not the case. And I give the Islanders a ton of credit because again, they were, that was their fourth series. So, I mean, they essentially just in terms of playoff games and the grind and the wins to get there, were essentially in a normal year playing in the Stanley cup. And the other thing to your point earlier about how this is, you know, if, if it's not equal to past Stanley cup winners, it's maybe even more impressive a year ago at this time, we were already in training camp for this season. So whoever wins the cup, it's going to have been over a calendar year since their season technically started. It's all right. They're going to get six months off before the next season starts anyway. So, <laughs> But I'll say the that. interesting thing was with the Islanders too, of they were so hot to start the season and then they were so wishy-washy leading into the pause. Like yeah. I think that was the concern for me is that if you took out that hot start, they were not a good hockey team down the stretch there, but they got some time off and they turned it back on again and, and, Damn near almost made that run. I will say we all picked him over Philadelphia, didn't we? And Craig picked him over. Craig's picked him the whole way, haven't you? Mm, I don't remember if I picked him in the first round or not. I think you did. We might have all. Okay, yeah. I have no but idea. I, but, I, but, I, but I have been I on the Islanders train mostly because of their coach. Well, yeah. I mean, that's mostly why they won. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, give them. So, a question for you following up on that can they do any better than this? <sighs> I. I don't it's hard know to imagine them can. back in the Eastern Conference Final, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and, and maybe that's not even so difficult for me, although we're going to go back to that annoying format next year where they're going to have to go through Washington. And, and I mean, all the teams <laughs> they just beat. But yeah. I just, I don't see them getting to the Cup next year, if that's the question. I could see them getting back to the Eastern Conference Final. I don't know about the Cup. I don't even see them getting this far. Yeah, I mean, it's, t- it's, they, they would need, Matthew Barzal to turn into a mega mega star and not just the star that he is like I, I just don't know like when, when push comes to shove when you get late in the postseason you're going to be playing maybe a Boston or a Tampa or you know if, if they could ever get their you know what together Toronto you know I just don't know if they're having a fire but you know what what's what's stopping them from doing what Dallas just did I mean we had no idea we weren't expecting this at all uh, so if so if they get hot, I I could see it. I'm I'm not as optimistic about the East next year. Uh, I I think there's a lot of question marks. I think Washington's a question mark. Pittsburgh's a question mark. I don't think the Flyers are going to be as good. Depending on who comes back for Boston, you know they're going to still be good, but I don't know if they're going to be as good. Temple should be great. Toronto should be, but we know what they are. I mean, they continue to flounder. Like I I think the East is very open, at least in terms of winning a couple playoff rounds, at least as it looks right now. Yeah, that's fair. I think for a lot of the season before we hit the pause, the thought was all the maybe all of the top five teams were in the Eastern Conference with Washington and Tampa and Boston. And going into the break, Pittsburgh had looked really good and Philadelphia and then even Toronto just with talent level. I mean, you you could have made a case that, I don't know, six of the top seven teams in the NHL, at least the most dangerous, were in the East. I'm kind of with you, Jamie. I mean, going into next year, I trust Tampa out of that group and maybe Boston. And we'll see what Washington 
does now with uh, with Laviolette. But um, I don't know. I think we're going to see more balance next year. I just the thing is, Barry Trotz already has that track record where he says, okay, we got to play this this disciplined style, and you got to sacrifice some of your offensive numbers, but we'll win games. And and you know, teams players can look and say, well, he won a cup in Washington. Well, now his own guys next year can look back and say, yeah, if we just do what he's telling us, it got us to the Eastern Conference Final and into overtime in Game Six. So. I mean, that belief is is certainly there. Um, yeah. Street cred is important with a coach, too, and he certainly yeah. has it. So and speaking of, you just mentioned LaViolette to the Capitals, um, and we can discuss some of the news around the league. Um, what do you guys think of that move? Uh, to me, it, it feels like they're, they're, they just admitted it a mistake. They, they let Barry Trotz go. They should not have let him go. Now we'll get back to a coach who has uh, a similar track record of success. He's, he's obviously taken several teams deep in the postseason. They did. I mean, it was absolutely a mistake. That That is a team whose Stanley Cup window should have still been open the last yep. two years. And maybe it is still open this upcoming year, but I'm not going to put it all on Todd Reardon, but they, to me, that was a huge mistake. If they keep yeah. Barry Trotz, I think they were at least in the Stanley Cup last year or this year. Yeah, I mean, that was indefensible at the time and has become more indefensible as time has gone on, um, especially since you're dealing with a dollars and cents issue. You're not dealing with a cap issue. You're not dealing with anything else. You're dealing with simply you did not want to pay the man who just won you a Stanley Cup what he deserved. Uh, and that's the stuff I, I have no I have no sympathy for because there is, there's no coach cap. There, there's no issue that like, well, we can't re-sign Ovechkin or we can't re-sign our guys. We can't extend because we're, we're paying Barry Trotz. We just decided not to. Uh, and they paid for it. But to your point, Luke, yes, they're still very much in a cup winning, winning window. They can. As I said, I still think the East is very open. There's going to be a lot of teams in this like upper middle class that are going to have a good chance to get hot. They need to figure out their goaltending situation, which is something we did not say this time a year ago, um, and figure out if it is, it's such a volatile position that I would not be surprised if Holby bounces back and has a great year. I mean, we're seeing a lot of these where really good goalies just have these bad stretches, and then we've seen them come back. Uh, so we'll see if they can do that there. They still have got plenty of top-end talent. Um, you know, I, I don't get – Laviolette's a good coach, and I think a good coach paired with a good roster. Uh, maybe there's some extra motivation this year after a very disappointing playoff run. I mean, like I said, I think the East is so open. I would not, I would not be surprised. Like right now, there are probably eight or so teams that, if you told me they came out of the East next year, right now, I wouldn't bat an eye. Like I, I really think it's going to be that open. If they really go with Samsonov and Net next year too, and just let Holtby go, I mean, Samsonov was probably better than Holtby for most of this he season. Was. So that's that's certainly something to look at. But yeah, I mean, I'm with you in the sense that the East will be open, and I think they just, I think, I think Washington threw two years away. I don't know if it was a pride thing or an ego thing or what, but to your point, Jamie, how do you at least not let Barry Trotz try to defend the cup? And then if they don't win it last year and then you want to get crazy and move on from him this year, then whatever. But he finally wins you your Stanley cup and you move on that summer. That makes no sense. And like you said, it makes even less sense now because you just wasted two years. What about the other names out there on the coaching front? Gerard Gallant, uh, Mike Babcock. Um, I'm wondering about the Seattle job in particular. In, in, In one sense, you could, I mean, maybe you shouldn't overthink this. Gerard Gallant has done all this. He he knows yeah. how to do this already, so maybe that should be the hire. But Does he want to Babcock, do it again? He might, especially with a great organization, right? Um, but would Mike Babcock be a sexier hire? I don't know. Would he lend more credence? And he knows he knows the West, too. So I don't know. What do you guys think of these? Well, and, hold and on. San Jose is open, too, right? We yeah. buried the lead with Laviolette. He is willing to go back into the Metro and coach against his proclaimed greatest player of all time in Claude Giroux. So that shows some, <laughs> some boldness on Laviolette's part. It, it um, does. 
If I'm uh, Seattle, man, Gallant's a better option than, than Babcock with a, with a team of a bunch of guys that haven't played together. Yeah, and knowing what you know about Babcock and some of the reasons he left Toronto, I, I mean, I'm sure he wants to get back in and change the narrative around himself the way he left, but I don't know. If I'm Seattle, that's not the kind of guy I'm looking for. No, I don't think you want any negative PR, particularly when you're starting a franchise from scratch here. Um, and just given the climate of that market, I mean, there are certain places that would be more accepting of that sort of behavior. I do not think the Pacific Northwest is one of them. Probably not. Um, and, and in general, I I feel like whoever takes that job, it's a losing proposition. As good as that organization is, especially if Gallant ends up taking it. And again, there are only so many jobs available, so I understand that you don't get exactly get a chance to pick and choose, especially when you're coming off of being let go. Uh, but especially if Gallant goes there, the, the comparisons to Vegas are already inescapable and they're only going to get worse. And to have any sort of expectations that Seattle is going to do even a quarter of what Vegas did in their opening season is asking a whole hell of a lot. And yeah. I think people are going to be very disappointed in that. But just from a resume standpoint, Gallant would be perfect for that spot because that is a very unique situation. And is there another coach in the league that can – that's still coaching that can have had that situation. No. Um, and I think if you're talking about rallying a locker room of, you know, an aisle of misfit toys for lack of a better phrase, uh, and that actually getting them to buy into a message and believe he could stand up there and say, not only do I think you can, I just proved you can. So there is a lot of value to that, even though I think the expectations are going to be completely out of whack. I think from the, for most people on how good Seattle is going to be out of the gates. From that perspective, I, I really think it makes sense to hire Gerard Gallant. But Seattle has also been, at, at least some of their hiring practices to date, they've been way out of the box on some of these things. So it wouldn't surprise me if they went in an entirely different direction, too, and surprised us with this hire. If you hire Gerard Gallant, does that mean two and a half years later you're hiring Pete DeBoer? Is that just <laughs> is it like part of the package deal? I I'm like the idea. I'm not as high on Pete DeBoer as I am on Gerard Gallant as a coach, by the way. Oh, I'm he, not either. He, I, he I still think that's a mistake. Um, can we all agree whenever Seattle does hire a coach, they need to put out a very dramatic video of of a bunch of fishermen pulling stuff out of the water. Like every time they make a major announcement, it should be like when they announce their team name. That's, that's what I want to see from Seattle. I want that sort of, uh, that, that consistency. I want some humorous. If they hire Gerard Gallant too, they should play up the fact that he's doing this yet again. They got to figure (laughs) out a a really good marketing campaign around that. Like, eh. I I also wish, and I know we say this every time we do these coaching or GM runs, but I wish I had a better feel for some of the younger assistant AHL coaches uh, because I, it always feels like we're recycling the name, same three to four names, and we're just going to be on this this carousel of, of NHL head coaches that we've been on for the last five or six that's years. Galan keeps getting fired when he shouldn't. I mean, True, that, but like we're still it. we still grab everybody. That I mean, it's and I'm not saying these guys are bad coaches, but we're grabbing Laviolette, we're grabbing DeBoer, we're grabbing Gallant, we're grabbing. I mean, we're Vigneault. grabbing all Vigneault. We're grabbing the same four or five names. I'm not saying that those are bad coaches. It's just I have absolutely no idea who the young coaching prospects are in this league right now. Yeah, apparently, no one idea. of them is Rick Bonus, even though he didn't plan on it by any means. Um, I have a question for you guys here. Did Eric Stahl get traded to Buffalo? Or was that just a really weird dream we he all did. had? He did. It did happen. It's, that is bizarre. Uh, a team that was not on his trade list, by the way. I, I'm sure he's really excited about that move to uh, wrap up his career on a team that's not doing anything. Yeah. I mean, I know some people are portraying Buffalo as a great hockey market, and I guess by some measures it is, but <laughs> they also have the longest streak of not making the postseason. 
That's you can be a well-run organization. Yeah, yeah, you can be a yeah. great hockey market and not be a well-run organization. Yeah. Those are two very different things. Indeed. At least, I guess, for Eric Stahl's sake, he, he does have a Stanley Cup, and he was a major part of it, although that feels like that was 150 he's, years and ago. He's, he's playing still pretty well. Like I, I like mm-hmm. the move. I mean, Buffalo still sucks. not going anywhere, but I like the move. They got a little bit better, I guess. That's nice. All right, Craig, that's going to be the tagline for the show. Buffalo still sucks. <laughs> Jim Montgomery's returning, though. That's a, I mean, you'd like to see someone battle through demons like that. I mean, alcohol problems. It's nice to see him back behind the bench. Yeah, I'm, I'm all, I, I don't know if we've just abandoned this in society in 2020, but I'm all for a second chance. I don't know that yes. I'm all for a 750th chance, but this, as right. far as yeah. I know, is his second right. chance. Right. No, we should punish them forever. We should hate them <laughs> Although and this criticize whole season- all organizations. The, just the look back me. on this season, given uh, just going back to like remember the Babcock stuff feels like forever ago. The Montgomery stuff feels like forever ago. The uh, who was, was the Stars president that was screaming about? I've got even what we were yelling. What like he got in trouble for? Yeah, like that feels like six years ago at this point. Like it, it, it's it's shocking that all of this. I know there's obviously the huge pause there, but this is this was a wild wild season, well before the pause, and has only gotten crazier. Uh, real quick here before we talk to Jeremy Rutherford, obviously we're going to talk about the move the Coyotes made to hire a GM. Uh, the draft and free agency are like two and a half and three and a half weeks away. This is going to get real crazy here. It is, and I don't know what to expect. I have no idea because on the one sense, you, you expect a lot of trades before the draft because there's a lot of capital that can be moved. And after the draft is over, not so much because teams want control over their own picks. Maybe they'll want guys that were taken. I don't know how it's going to work. But then we could have this massive amount of time where there's nothing happening, not even training camp. So how does that play into all this? Could we see a lot of trades in this dead zone where usually guys are on vacation? I have no idea what to expect from this po- uh, this offseason. And by the way, what a time to be an unrestricted free agent. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's. I don't know what these deals are going to look like. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, Taylor Hall is the biggest name. We'll get more into some of these other names that aren't quite as big as his that will be available. But, um, but you know, we'll do that in the next week or two. Yeah, just before we go, just a, a thought, you know, Taylor Hall's going to get his money to an extent. What about yeah. those mid-level and low-level UFAs? Do they even get signed? I, I, certainly, if you're a mid-level or like an upper mid-level, you probably are at least having to consider taking a one or a two-year deal and trying to cash in two years because you're not going to cash in now. Like you said, Taylor Hall may get paid, but I don't think anybody else is cashing in in 2020. Okay, Jamie's gone, so now we can speak freely. Um, feels good, doesn't it? It's just more. Yeah. It's like liberating when Jamie leaves. Takes all his Buffalo hate with him. That's that's uh, Luke's code for saying this is the best part of the show. Yeah, and I don't even think I should have to say it. I think it's been understood at this point after 259 Except episodes. for Gilbert. Gilbert out there is probably turning his podcast off. All right, Gilbert, I'm going to say it because we should just say it because we should have this kind of fun on the podcast. We imagine that you have Jamie's name up in broken glass on your wall. Well, Jamie hopes that that's the case, and I'm, Craig and I just assume that's probably. So maybe you can address that, Gilbert, in a tweet to us. Let us know what it looks like. Here's the problem. Jamie, Jamie hasn't been on in the last two minutes. Gilbert's not listening at this point anyway. <laughs> That's true. He cut out. <laughs> um, the Coyotes have a new GM. There they do. Are, there are some caveats that have nothing to do with, with Bill Armstrong. It's not his fault. But uh, there's a draft in a couple of weeks, Craig. And, and this, based on what we know of him from St. Louis, and we're going to have Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic on in a few minutes to, to get his thoughts on, on Bill Armstrong. 
But based on what we know so far, this is one of his strengths is drafting, and he can't be involved in this draft for the Coyotes. Yeah, it's got to be a weird feeling for him, but it, it's actually not all that unusual in this situation. He, you know, There's so much proprietary information with St. Louis that you understand him not wanting to step in and say, hey, get this guy right before the Blues do. <laughs> now, right now, the Coyotes don't have a pick in the first three rounds, so it may not seem like as big a deal. But you know, if they execute some of the trades that they want to, then maybe they'll move back into those rounds. And then it becomes even more interesting because you're putting that pick or those picks in the hands of guys that you haven't worked with before. And you may not agree with those. Although, you know, normally this time of year, your scouts and your, your head of scouting, Lindsay Hofford, in this case, they already know what their draft board looks like. They've done all the work and I'm guessing there are contingencies in place for if they move into the higher rounds, they have that all built out as well. So it's not like they're flying blind here without a GM. It's the scouts who run the draft anyway. It's just this weird situation where the guy who is going to oversee this process doesn't get to do so the, even though he holds the title. So can you kind of walk us through who is going to be running this for the Coyotes? I mean, these are, these are guys that even though they aren't the GM, they're still going to be involved with the organization. So it's not like they're just like, oh, I'm, I'm leaving here. Take this guy, take this guy, make this trade or whatever. Right. It, it's Lindsay Hofford's show. Uh, that's usually the way it is. It's always the director of amateur scouting that runs the draft. It's not really the GM. They just hand it off at that point. You know, they'll, they'll actually, they'll of course want some input on, on the players that they're selecting, but it is the scouts and Hofford in particular who build the draft board. Steve Zolvan, I would assume will have a role since he's still under contract. We still don't know what his role is going to be moving forward. Uh, we'll find out on Tuesday. I assume he'll slide back into the assistant GM spot since he's still under contract, but That'll be clarified on Tuesday, but it'll mainly, I assume, be those two guys, but mainly Lindsey Hofford running the draft. Now, this is where it gets a little complicated, and you sort of alluded to it. There could be a lot of trades here, or at least a lot of potential trades in the next couple of weeks, because again, the draft is early October. It's, it's three weeks, two weeks, two and a half weeks away. If the Coyotes are to make a trade on draft day, let's say, in the second round for a second round pick, and that's spur of the moment stuff, and you know somebody's picking two picks away, I mean... How, so is that Sullivan making the call and then Hofford steps in and makes the pick? He's allowed to make trades. He's allowed Armstrong. to make trades. So, so yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill Armstrong is. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it, uh, it's a question I want to ask, Luke. No one's well, clarified I, it yet. Yeah, it's, it's like, how does that work at that point? Okay, you're, so, and, and you're getting a pick, and then what happens with the I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's you a little, see where I'm going, right? What yeah, if they trade, they trade one spot ahead of St. Louis. Everybody's right. going to look and be like, hey, wait a second here. What's going uh, on? So, Check the phone records know. for Bill Armstrong. <laughs> so it's, we could have uh, another, another Coyote scandal. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, Speaking of yeah. scandals, I'm just going to get this out of the way. By the way, uh, I reported yesterday the Coyotes are not paying, have not paid the lease on Gila River Arena, which is a curious decision that is normally made after the fiscal year ends. Um, I know that uh, Glendale Glendale gets a payment from um, ASM, the uh, ASM Global, the arena manager. So they have not received it yet. And I confirmed that with uh, a Glendale City official. I also confirmed it with another source. Uh, ASM released a statement to me yesterday saying they're still working with the Coyotes. So we'll see where this goes. I know it's going to be on the executive uh, session discussion on September 26th for the Glendale City Council. That has been posted. So we'll see where it goes. It's it's an odd thing. You, you can't risk the place in which you play. Um, I know there are no games right now. They still have offices there. And look, if you don't want to be evicted, you, you need to pay your lease. But moving back to the other parts of this, uh, yeah, with a, with a new general manager coming in, 
I'm really interested in the the challenge ahead for Bill Armstrong in what looks like it's going to be a roster teardown. They're looking to move as many of these veteran pieces as they can. Yeah, I, I hope that, and they probably don't have it yet. I'm, I'm sure they're still formulating this, but I hope there is a very clear plan. I mean, if you're tearing down the roster and names like Oliver Ekman Larson and Darcy Kemper are at least being tossed around, okay, well, that's maybe the best goalie in the NHL, and that is your team captain. And I know it's easy to always pick on your number one defenseman if anything goes wrong and say, oh, it's Oliver's fault. Um, there will be teams lining up for Oliver Ekman Larson, and here's the thing. They will be good teams, which should give you pause. Of why, why, why are the Bruins and why are these other teams lining up for our, our number one defenseman, we need to get something for him. Yeah, and, and I, I speculated on Boston being a, a team in play for Oliver, and Boston has a couple pieces that, that could be interesting in Brandon Carlo and, and Jake DeBrusque to the Coyotes, and, as well as some picks. But it, I wonder what the market will look like for OEL. That's a big contract to absorb in a time where you have a flat cap, and it, and it, it goes, it has a lot of term left still, seven years. He hasn't been the player the past few seasons that he was, but at the same time, you know, I saw Travis Yost wrote a, a piece for TSN today with a sort of a buyer beware on OEL. And there's some credence to that, but I still wonder if a different situation might be good for Oliver, a change of scenery, both because of the just the wear and tear of being on the Coyotes and in this organization for a long time, what it can do to you. And then let's, let's face it. Uh, he and Rick Tockett have not meshed well together. So could he re regain some of the form that we saw earlier in his career? I think he might be able to in a different situation. I, I still think there is plenty of ability left in Oliver Eckman Larson. You and I have talked about this before off the air. I mean, with the season he just had, the idea of even considering trading Darcy Kemper, I should say the idea of trading Darcy Kemper seems insane. But at the same time, if the plan here is to tear down and rebuild here, um, he's your best trade chip. You do have another goalie that you know can play as a number one. He's at least shown it in Auntie Ron. He can stay healthy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you have Aiden Hill. They just signed to that that one-year deal too. So it's like – A one-way deal, which tells you that he's going to be with the NHL club unless they're trading him. So yeah. that's something somebody – Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah, no, somebody's no, got to no, go, I mean, right? That's, that's a great point because I've had a few people ask me that. Aiden Hill, Auntie Ranta, Darcy Kemper, they're not keeping all three of them next no, year. No, so it's pretty them, clear so. they want to move one of them and Kemper's return would be greater. But here's, here's the point that I keep making. I keep hearing it assume that, oh, yeah, the, the, they're asking for a first-round pick or, or it's being offered a first-round pick. Okay, where is that first-round pick? Are we talking a mid to late first-round pick for Darcy Kemper? It, there's, all, there's, there's this assumption out there that that's – yeah, that's reasonable market for Darcy I don't Kemper. Want that. I think that's pure insanity to give away your best asset, your best tradable asset, and a guy who I've said this before will go to another team if it's the right situation. He's a Vezina Trophy ca- candidate. He may be a Hart Trophy candidate, and you're going to give him away for a mid to late first round pick. That's crazy to me. To me, if that's what's on the table, if that's what teams are willing to offer, you don't trade Darcy Kemper yeah. because you are devaluing one of your best assets, maybe your best asset. I completely agree. I'd much rather get like a late second or a prospect or something for Auntie Ranta than trading Kemper away for, because look, I mean, let's just be clear. The main rumors are starting with, okay, well, he would fit on Colorado. There's not a lot of great teams that don't have really good goaltending. Okay. Well, am I going to trade Darcy Kemper to Colorado for what the 26th pick in the draft? That does nothing for me. That's a, a lottery ticket for the best player at his position, potentially in the entire NHL. And if you don't think Darcy Kemper is the best goalie, fine. He's the second or third best goalie. So it's not like he makes a ton of money. If I'm trading Darcy Kemper, I want legitimate players back that are going to be playing for my team 
next year or they're immediately the top prospects in my organization and I'm going to see them in two years or whatever. I want like two of those guys really, because I'm, you're right. You're hundred percent right, Craig. If I'm trading him to a team, it's, it's almost certainly a playoff contender. If I'm trading him to Colorado, I'm making them the heavy Stanley cup favorites. I want something back other than a pick they don't care about. Yeah. It's just, that's not worth it for me. No, I, I completely agree. And it, 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 if, if it comes to that and I, I'd be surprised if it comes to that, but you know, I've heard this from a bunch of people. I mean, when you, when you look back on that, you're, you're going to you, – you look at the pieces that you have right now. If a rebuild is what you want to do and you have a three- to four-year window in mind, these moves are critical to executing that plan. And if you give up – if you devalue Darcy Kemper, you're already off – you're, you're off the rails. Yeah. You're, you're Honestly, blowing your plan already. I would rather keep him. And if yes. you still feel the need to move him, trade him in November or something or trade him before. Like, honestly, he's, it's not like his contract is up this year. I, I understand at least on some level what you're saying of we want to start over. He's our best trade chip or maybe not completely start over. You still have your young core you're building around, but we want to take a step back and, and go in a different direction with a new GM. That's fine. But this thought of like, oh, they'll just trade him for a first round pick. That's such an that's that's half. It's, it's half analysis that you're, you're going halfway with the thought of, Hey, the Coyotes got a first round pick. Okay. What's the next news? Well, the Coyotes aren't going to be any better with the 26th pick in the draft. You're going to give me some guy that may or may not ever play. And you're going to exactly. take the best player off my team. No, I want actual players. If I'm moving yeah. him. I completely agree. Like when you look at the success rate of even late first round picks, it's a low success rate. So even with Bill Armstrong coming in, who is, <laughs> Made a lot of good picks after 20 because that's all he's had in St. Louis. You can't yeah. count on that alone for Darcy Kemper. It's crazy to also, me how many people are talking about it. I can get those picks elsewhere. You know, you're giving me the 26th pick in the first round. I have to give up Kemper. I'm pretty sure I could get a, an early to mid second round pick for somebody else on my team that isn't Darcy Kemper. And that's 10 picks lower. And when you get to that point in the draft, a lot of it is is what, you know, individual teams, like the individual teams draft boards look a lot different when you get into the 40s and 50s than they do in the top 10. So, yeah, just not, that's not worth it to me at all. I, I'm I'm still firmly in the, I'd prefer to just have Kemper back. But uh, if I have to, if I have to move him, I want something legitimate in return, not just something that sounds good. Can we pause here? Yeah. You want me to? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we are pleased to be joined now to uh, to shed some light on the Coyotes GM hiring by Jeremy Rutherford of the Athletic. Who, of course, I think all hockey fans know he covers the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, Jeremy's a, a a friend of the show, isn't he, Craig? I believe we've yeah. had him on a couple times before. We have, we have indeed. It's been a while, but we've had him on a couple times. Never to grill him like we're about to grill him now, though, as we want some, <laughs> some background on our new GM here. Uh, Jeremy, thanks thanks for the uh, the time. How's how is this uh, weird season and now off season treating you? You know, I've gotten to the point where I don't know where anything starts and stops anymore. I legit don't know. Is the season still going on? I guess it is. There's a cup final on TV, but then it's over, and then when's it starting? I have no idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you on that. I think we all are. It's, it's very weird. Whoever wins the cup, it's going to be over a year since their training camp started. Um, okay, so the Coyotes, they hire Bill Armstrong to be the new GM of this team, and we can talk about what that looks like from the Arizona perspective in a second. But what can you tell us about Bill Armstrong? Well, I like Bill. I think uh, Bill is a good hockey mind, and he's a guy who's put in his time. He joined the Blues in 2002. He was an area scout. I've written this a few times, and maybe you guys uh, you know, have also done your homework. And uh, you know some of the players that he's been responsible for drafting. You're talking about a, a David Perron, 
uh, 19 years old. You're talking about a Jake Allen. More currently, you're looking at a Colton Pareko, who was a great find in the, the third uh, round. Uh, Sammy Blay, a six-round guy. Not too often do you see players make it to the NHL and, and hold down a spot in the starting lineup when they're six-round draft picks, but Bill found a guy with uh, Sammy Blay. So uh, I think he's done a terrific job drafting, uh, but also, and we've pointed this out, I know Craig's touched on it, He's got a development background, too. He did coach at Providence with uh, Peter Laviolette, and they drafted – I'm sorry, they developed some uh, American Hockey League players. They won a championship there. And uh, he's been with the Blues a long time. And so I, what I saw from Bill Armstrong here in the last couple of years is he really wanted to climb the ladder. And when Marty Brodeur left, he threw his name – in the hat to uh, take that assistant general manager job, and they thought enough of him to promote him. So you're talking about a Stanley Cup team that he's got his fingerprints all over. I want to ask you a two-part question on this, Jeremy. I I spoke to Peter Laviolette about this as well. Um, There's a lot of value in climbing the rungs of an organization, and and clearly his his climb started before that. He was a player in the minor leagues by and large, uh, a coach in the minor leagues, even had some he was in the ECHL for a little uh managing but um I think not only is there value in just hitting each of those wrongs and understanding the position but then understanding the perspective that comes with that I'm curious your for your thoughts on that how important that is in uh building a resume for a general manager yeah I think it's it's very important and and look you know I wouldn't want to be a general manager in this league unless I had done all those jobs. I mean, do you want to own a seafood restaurant? Yeah, sure. But it's not going to be successful unless you were a server and a busboy and mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of climb the, the rungs, as you said. And, and not just climb them, but have some perspective for what each job means and how they all come together and uh, and, and produce what you hope is going to be a, a Stanley Cup team. And, and so I think what uh, – Bill has done here is not only did he just have the title of a scout, I mean, he did it for 15 years. Not only was the director of the scouting department, he did it for 10 years. And so I think here's a guy who has held those titles. He knows what they mean. Um, He has that perspective. Now, the one thing, and maybe we'll get into this, guys, um, you know, he hasn't been in management for a long time. I mean, we're just talking two years. So, you know, I like Bill. I think he's going to do a good job, but I think Bill will tell you, you know, does he have a lot of experience with contracts, negotiating, general manager meetings, so on and so forth? Uh, he doesn't, uh, but he's done a good job over the years of uh, understanding things as, as he takes them on. Yeah, that was the second part of my question, how much of a concern it is that he's only been in that assistant general manager chair for two years. I know with Doug, he, he sat in on a lot of those areas and learned some of it, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the magic uh, number is for how much experience you need in that chair before you are ready for this position. Yeah. And if Marty Brodeur sticks around, then Bill doesn't get that job uh, alongside of uh, Doug Armstrong. And by the way, I think I saw Marty about halfway through that season when the blues were in last place and I said, uh, boy, are you glad that uh, that you took off? And he said, yeah, it seemed to work out. And then they win a Stanley Cup. So, uh, <laughs> so, so Marty Brodeur leaves. Bill Armstrong comes in. And it's really tough, Craig. You know the deal is uh, we talk to these guys in the press box. Uh, we interview them for stories. But in terms of behind-the-scenes decision-making, you know, how much input 
did he have in some of the things that the Blues did? We just don't know. Um, I guess the only thing we can really do is look at it as though he did have two years experience. He was involved in all these meetings. He was around not only Doug Armstrong, but this Blues management group, you have Larry Robinson, you have uh, Al McKinnis, uh, and you have others that are around that you can kind of soak up the information. So, you know, with Bill, uh, like I said, I like him. I'm going to look at this as a positive that he's had these two years in the management booth with Doug Armstrong, but just know that if you were doing uh, uh, checking off the boxes, um, that that is where he has the least experience. Yeah. One more question uh, from me before I hand back to Luke, who I know has more questions as well. Um, when we look at the, uh, the, his ability to, identify players later than number 20 in the first round being being honest the blues have had a lot of success it's really hard to find consistent talent when you're not drafting high in the first round what's the secret sauce there and how much credit does he deserve for it versus you know the whole team because clearly a lot of people have input here yeah and you know i rattled off those players earlier you know david perron colton pareko obviously there were area scouts that found those guys first and said hey bill we need to go take a look at this guy Uh, But, you know, you give Bill some credit for being the guy at the table and saying, hey, this is who we need to go with and, and, you know, telling Doug Armstrong uh, this is what our guys are saying. Um, The one thing, you know, you've heard this cliche a thousand times, guys, but uh, hockey sense, you know, I think that's Mm -hmm. what what Bill focuses on. He's a best player available type guy. Uh, You know, these guys are sometimes three, four, five years off. Um, So he's looking for uh, the best player in these drafts. And, And to me, you know, um, size, I think, is another thing. You look at this Blues team uh, across the defense, 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", 6'6". So, uh, you know, if you're an Arizona fan, you might pay attention uh, to that. Uh, but but overall, it, it's, it's the hockey sense. Like, he thinks you can teach players a, a lot of things. You can coach them. Uh, but if you don't have those hockey sense uh, traits, then, you know, I, I just think that uh, he's going to move on and look for somebody who does. Jeremy, that's an interesting point because I was kind of going to go there with you. I mean, St. Louis was obviously a, a bigger, more physical team when they won the Cup, and, and they certainly they still are now. The Coyotes are are pretty clearly one of the smaller teams in the NHL, just stature-wise. I mean, do you think that he will put that as a, as a point of emphasis, or is that something that may just gradually happen over time? Uh, probably gradually. And, and also, you know, it, it can't just be through the drafting, right? It's got to be through – uh, trades and free agency like I'm, I'm thinking back to uh, the Blues defense and you know you draft a Colton Pareko so that counts right but also you have a, a Bortuzzo who you brought in in a trade a Scandella was a trade um, so some of these uh, players with the size including some guys up front uh, were brought in uh, otherwise but you know that's what the Blues have done for the better part of the past 10 or 15 years, even going back with Ken Hitchcock is they've been big and they wear you down and they probably don't have as much skill as some teams, even like in Arizona, you know, the Coyotes have some skill, but if I had to venture, I would say that in, you know, five years, six years, Bill Armstrong still in position there uh, in Arizona, you know, I think uh, you might see a team that uh, reflects what we've seen in St. Louis. Cause the one thing we have to keep in mind guys um, he's been here since 2002. I mean, this isn't a guy who uh, showed up uh, and took over for Yarmo Kekalainen in 2010 as the director of uh, scouting. This is a guy who's been in the organization uh, for the better part of 18, 20 years. 
You talked about development, too, and, and not being afraid to overbake players in the minor league. The, the Coyotes have been guilty of rushing players in the past. Um, it seems to be Doug Armstrong's philosophy as well. There's, there's no harm in sending them back for that second year of junior. No harm in letting them stay in the A to dominate and really build up the confidence as well as the skill set, it seems like. What's your take? That's a great point. It really is. And, uh, again, we don't know whose philosophy – um, it is in terms of uh, we know it's Doug Armstrong making those calls. Mm-hmm. Um, so how much does does Bill Armstrong believe that? Uh, you know, I, I think he does. I think you look at a situation with uh, Blues prospects like Jordan Cairo. Uh, if he hasn't shown that he's ready to play, they send him back to San Antonio. And even when he's lighting it up in the American Hockey League, keep him down there. Let him play. Let him get that seasoning. The Blues have a – I don't want to give you too many names and, and, you know, players that Coyotes fans aren't too concerned about, but a Clem Costin, a first-round pick a several, several years ago, and he's played just four games in the National Hockey League. So uh, it's a great point, Craig. Uh, I got to give the Blues credit there. Is There's a lot of pressure on the management types to play these guys and bring them up, and some teams do. And, uh, you know, the, these guys fade quickly and all of a sudden they're off the radar. Uh, but the Blues have done a good job with Bill Armstrong being partly in charge of uh, keeping these guys in the minors and getting those games played. This is a, a crazy off season for a- any GM, no matter how much experience they have. We don't even know when next season starts, but we know the draft is in two and a half weeks. And we know free agency is just a couple of days after that. I mean, Jeremy, if, if you are if you're in Bill Armstrong's position and this is your first GM job, you're stepping into a complete whirlwind with a new team. I mean, how, how do you think he navigates that? Yeah, it's going to be tough. You know, especially right out of the hop, you don't have the high draft picks, and you know, we learned yesterday that uh, he's not going to have a hand in the Coyotes draft. Uh, should we put quotes around that or <laughs> what? But uh, <laughs> but but it's a situation where he's put a ton of work into. Uh, this year's draft and uh, he was set to run it here in a couple weeks for the blues if he doesn't get that job and and so now he you know can't really apply uh, his knowledge uh, for the coyotes which I'm sure he would love to do so you know obviously you've got some unrestricted free agents that he's going to have to look at and you got that uh, right around the corner on October 9th Um, you know I, I don't know where he starts there's just so much to do um, all I can tell you is being around him uh, for the better part of a decade covering the team is, uh, you know, he can compartmentalize. He can uh, focus on things. He knows what's important, what's not important. So all I can say is with so many things to check off his list, he's going to do a good job of prioritizing him and taking care of, of uh, what needs to happen first. Yeah, regarding his role in the draft, I'm, I'm guessing at this point the Coyotes aren't keen to uh, break any perceived rules <laughs> based on what's going yeah. down around here recently. Yeah, um, I don't think they will, but maybe the uh, maybe they could beat on some trash cans or something like that. <laughs> when, uh... <laughs> Very nice. That's a reference we've had on this show before. That's good. That's good. Um, you mentioned something earlier. Um, you, you, you don't know how many kicks you're going to get at the can. This is clearly a challenging situation. And again, I know you don't know all the particulars of the Coyotes, but from a, from any outsider's perspective, they can look at this job and say, wow, is that something that I really want to tackle? I, do you have any insight at all as to why Bill would want to take this leap with this particular franchise in its current situation? 
Yeah, I haven't spoken to him in depth uh, about that, so I want to be upfront about that. But, you know, I have talked to him a lot recently, and I think he had his sights set on a general manager job. I feel like he he feels like he's put his uh, time in. He's been with one organization for a long time. Um, I can't stress enough how badly he wanted to be in that management booth when Marty left. I know I touched on that, but I just want to reemphasize it. This is where he saw his career going sooner than later. And so, you know, when I thought about it and I saw that he was getting close, you know, following your reporting, Craig, you know, doing a good job uh, that he was the lead candidate, you know, you start to ask yourself why because of some of those issues, right? You know, the, the bankruptcy type things and the arena and, uh, you know, players and such, you know, the system. Uh, but I think when you get to the end of it, you have to say that this is one of the 31, 32 jobs in the league. Mm -hmm. And you don't know if you're ever going to get one of these jobs again. And, and so that's not to slight the coyotes. Look, he could go in there and put together a good team uh, in terms of management team. And, uh, and you got a great coach there and, and this team could play well and he could get a lot of credit for turning around the situation in Arizona, but I think that when you look at it, you know, he didn't get the job in Florida, and there are only so many jobs that are going to be open, and if his career ends and he wasn't able to to get the green light on one of these jobs, you would mm. just be kick, kicking yourself that you didn't take that opportunity in Arizona. Jeremy, I don't have anything else as far as the Coyotes, but I just wondered what your perception was of, of this year's uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, St. Louis went out earlier than than I think a lot of us expected, but at the same time, winning the Cup last year and, and then just how the, the playoffs have gone this year. And uh, we're all pretty familiar with Dallas. I mean, do you think their run continues one more round here? I think it's going to be tough for Dallas, uh, but you say that and then you watch Adobin play and – it's just amazing what he's been able to do. You know, being in St. Louis, uh, Ben Bishop's a St. Louis native. I was really hoping to see him uh, go on a, on a playoff run. Dallas has just completely surprised me. Uh, the Blues owned them this year, played really well against them, uh, but they're they're getting some good performances from some, from some of those key guys. And uh, you know, Miro Heiskin and the the younger guys are doing uh, amazing work too. So um, I don't. I think that Tampa Bay will prevail. They're just too talented. They're too loaded. They're too skilled. Uh, and they also have a great goalie too. So, so I see uh, Tampa winning this and I had to do a prediction today. I think I did Tampa in five games even. So hopefully you don't oh, have wow. any stars fans listening <laughs> to this. Uh, um, but yeah, as far as the playoffs guys, you know, I think it's as best as, as it could have been. Right. I mean, we can sit here and talk about the fan noise or, you know, the players upset with some of the situations in the bubble, all we want. But a couple months ago, we didn't have hockey, and somehow, some way, everybody came together and produced this tournament. And it just, it's still mind boggling to me that they're actually going to hand out a Stanley Cup. Yeah, with no positive test, too. So kudos to the NHL for that. That's, that's amazing to me. Okay, last one before we let you go. Prediction time, um, not on the Cup final. When are we going <laughs> to see regular season games, Jeremy? Oh, man. You know what? Uh, you guys might not be aware of this, but the Blues and the Minnesota uh, Wild were scheduled to play in the Winter Classic on January 1st. And I thought that uh, might end up being opening night. <laughs> but, uh, but no, that game's going to get canceled. And uh, in talking to some of the players, guys, you know, they were talking about potential training camp late November, start this thing in early December, but it's just not going to happen. So, um, you know what? It is what it is at this point. If they get this cup awarded, um, I'll take 
the break for a little while, right? <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I'm thinking January. But to me, the bigger question is, are they going to play 82 games? Are they going to be able – are they going to be playing, you know, three and four, six and eight? It, it just seems – like a, a, it's going to be a challenge, you know, next year to be able to fit that whole season in. So you got to say January, right, Craig? Yeah, I, I've heard as late as February, and and, February. and fans fans are such a big part of this too. They really want some yeah. fans in the stand. You understand why for revenue, but uh, you know, you see what's happening in Europe right now with COVID, and you're wondering, are we just hitting the second wave, and what is that going to do? It's just it, it's it's a crazy time. Yeah, everything comes with an asterisk for sure. Uh, so. We'll see, but you can only with this situation you can only take it like one little uh, segment of, at a time, right? And and so they they got through, or at least it looks like they're going to get through this segment. Then we'll see what the next couple months look like. Uh, but uh, I, you know the, the league gets criticized for a lot of stuff, and and this time they deserve a lot of credit. No question, yeah. Jeremy. Thanks for joining us. Good seeing you. Good talking to you. Um, really appreciate your insights. Yep. Anytime, boys. Sounds good. Thanks, Jeremy. That's Jeremy Rutherford checking in with uh, with some good insight there on the Coyotes' newest general manager, Bill Armstrong, stepping in. So uh, yeah, he's um, he he's he's got his work cut out for him going forward. It, it's so weird talking about this, Craig. The Coyotes just made the playoffs, yep. so it's like it's weird. You talk, you know, and in some ways you talk about this team, you're like, oh, the GM's going to step in. It's like he's taking over the worst team in the NHL. He's not. They just made the playoffs, but it's. It's the timing of everything. It's the fact that the draft is in two and a half weeks, and you heard Jeremy just say it right there. Bill Armstrong knows more about this draft than than most people that are going to be involved in it, and he can't be involved. And yeah. he may have to get rid of his best player in a trade. I and mean, we don't know. There's just so many questions. That's tough for anybody to step right in and have. I mean, he's going to be hit with it instantly the second he gets here. Yeah, it's. I I, I can't even imagine this sort of challenge as, as a first time GM. Um, I, I hope he's ready because he, I can't imagine a bigger challenge than what's ahead of him with the coyotes. And it's not just the roster teardown that we're talking about. It's, it's restocking the, the system with some high end players, which they clearly still need. And then it's dealing with the financial situation of COVID itself. And then what the coyotes are facing because of it, there are a lot of challenges ahead for him. I think it's it's important too that Jeremy just pointed this out. You know, it's he, Bill has been in the front office in that in that that high end role now at St. Louis for only two years, but he's been involved with the Blues for 18 years. So this is not somebody that played a little hockey a little while ago and then wasn't around the game and then kind of stepped back in a couple of years ago. I mean, 18 years with the same organization, and obviously they won the cup last year. He's you know, he, he brings he does bring a lot of experience, although he's also in a weird way still going to be gaining valuable experience on the job. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've, I've said this before. You never really know until somebody sits in that chair, but you reach out to a lot of people when you're, you're trying to build a profile on a guy, and I just haven't heard anything negative about this guy. So on that front, at least, sounds like they made a pretty good hire. Yeah, that, that, that part is encouraging, certainly. Um, before we wrap up, we have to give our Stanley Cup predictions because it starts tomorrow. And yeah, I Jamie didn't give his, did he? No, and I'm sure he'll come back and whoever wins will be like, oh, I picked them in exactly that many games by that right. same final score. Um, I'm going to let you go first because my, I'm going back and forth on mine. I, I'm still going to stick with Tampa, but I think this is a long series. I think I think this is a seven-game series. Tampa wins in seven. Yeah, this this one's tough, which is, I will say, the sign of which should probably be a pretty good series of mm-hmm. not necessarily – I want to lean Tampa. I've been sticking with them to get to the cup all year. I don't want Dallas to win, 
by any means. And and I got to say, you would know this as well, too, just talking to people around the NHL over the course of uh, this full season and, and past seasons as well. I feel like most people within the league probably don't want Dallas to win. They're one of the more, um, not hated, but more disliked teams just because they play such a physical, aggressive style. Yeah, at times they, they venture into dirty. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. They've got some players who venture into dirty. I wanted to pick Dallas, and, and Jeremy threw me off by taking Tampa in five. Yeah, that's that surprised me too. I'm, you know what though? I'm I'm gonna take Dallas in seven. Woo, and there and it I is. Hope, I hope I'm wrong, but I mean, I picked against them uh, certainly with Vegas. I even picked Calgary over Dallas, which now seems just moronic. Um, I don't. We know, just they, didn't think they could score back then. They hadn't yeah. shown any ability to score, and, and then, then they, they exploded goals in a row. Yeah, it's, it's just bizarre. <laughs> but I wanted on the record. I hope Tampa wins for sure. And uh, I'll just make Jamie's pick for him. He has Colorado winning this year's Stanley Cup. So that's that. Before we go, did you say you had a couple of listener questions left over that you wanted to, to get to? Or Yeah, we got a couple. They're, they're not okay. even left over. They just they were sent in sort of separately. Yeah. Um, Tony James <laughs> has a picture of a stats book he's reading, and it talks about uh, regression. And he just says, did Jamie Eisner write a chapter in my stats book? Um <laughs> Kevin Weber writes in rumblings on Twitter, make it seem the door has closed on the coyotes re-signing hall. Should coyotes fans not get their hopes up and move on? What are your thoughts? I, I'm pretty confident that Taylor Hall will not be back. When you, when you think about their financial situation and that they want to shed payroll and they want to shed older players and Taylor Hall wants to play for a playoff team. Well, which box did we check? For him coming yeah. back here, I, I don't see any. I, I think it's a, a really long shot that he returns here. I, I absolutely maintain that when they traded for him back in mid-December, I think there was a legitimate chance he was going to re-sign here. But then there was a pandemic, and he has and Darcy Kemper got hurt one game later. Yeah, they were in yeah. first place again. People, context matters. They were in first place, and if you heard what John Chaika said at the time, and I know he's persona non grata around here and now, um, he said at the time he thought that the team. De- deserved that move. They just, they had played their way into deserving that move. And if you, you took the temperature of the locker room and the coaching staff at the time, they were pretty excited about it. So that was reality at the time. It obviously changed, but that was reality at the time. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're right. A lot of people now, I don't remember anybody around town when they traded for Taylor Hall being like, Oh, I don't want Taylor Hall. Everybody was excited. I mean, I'll, I'll stay consistent with, with my Taylor Hall trades, I liked this one when it happened. I hated the Taylor Hall trade to New Jersey for Adam Larson when it happened. I was clearly <laughs> right about that one. This one, I mean, I don't know that you could foresee a pandemic. And I do think that because Taylor Hall has talked so much about stability being so important to him, yeah, I think when you have that pandemic, almost any team he was going to be on was going to have a hard time having an advantage to re-signing him. I think what what you could look at, and, and, and I did at the time, you, what you could look at both is the, the cost of acquiring him. If he's not going to re-sign, was, was it worth it in the end? And was it a little bit rushed? Were the Coyotes simply pushing to get into the playoffs? Was that the goal? Or were they hoping to make a little bit of a run? And, and was Taylor Hall really the piece that was going to push them over the top? Or were they still missing too much else to realistically think that was going to happen? Uh, this has been a long podcast, but before we wrap up, since in honor of uh, Coyote's new GM day, I mean, you talk, you're saying what you're saying right there makes a lot of sense because now you watch teams like Dallas and Tampa and Vegas and these other teams that have gone so deep in this tournament. What do you think the Coyotes need? Not, you know, and I know we've talked a lot about a number one center, and, and but in terms of pieces you could go out and grab, do they need 
more size? Do they just need yes. a, a more physical power forward? Because to me, that has become glaringly obvious in the last yeah. two years. Yeah, absolutely agree. They need that. And and I don't know, you know, with when you talk about the uh, the plan for the team, the timeline for the team, are they, I, I think they'll get more size anyway. I think Bill, Bill Armstrong's track record says that, that that's how he learned. And, and, and he's a big man himself, by the way, very yeah. imposing figure when you meet him. Um, I think they'll get bigger as a team, but they also have the, my point of saying, I don't know how, how they'll factor the timeline into it is they have Jan Yannick in their system as well. And he's a guy who could fit that mold without a doubt. Uh, they, Rick Tockett absolutely loves the way the guy plays, loves his attitude and he can give you that presence, but they, they probably need even more than that. And they certainly need it on the back end on the blue line where I don't think that they're physical enough. Yeah, we didn't get to, to work this in very much. Maybe we can talk about it in the future. But uh, Corey Pronman had his list on The Athletic ranking all of the organization's organizational depth 22 years old and younger. Yeah. And he had the Coyotes number 11 in yeah. that regard. Now, again, 22 years and younger isn't prospects aren't in the NHL. That counts Jacob Chikrin, who I think he had second. Clayton Keller, I believe he had third. You mentioned Jan Yannick was in his top five for the Coyotes. Uh, Victor Soderstrom, I believe, was four. And Barrett Hayden, Barrett, Hayden is, Barrett Hayden is a guy that a lot of scouts are still high on. And I know he hasn't shown a lot at the pro level so far. And I have my own thoughts about that's That's why I asked Jeremy about, you know, development and not being afraid to bake a guy a year longer. I really think there's a lot of value to letting Barrett Hayden, Victor Soderstrom and Jan Yenick all play together in Tucson. And I wouldn't care if they did it for a full season. Yeah. You have to make sure that you're ensuring your future. And those guys are key pieces of the future so make sure you're doing the right thing in development very excited about victor soderstrom too i, I think that one's going to be maybe not like super flashy i don't know that he's going to be Merrill heishkin in but i think he's going to be one of the just steadiest defensemen in the league when he really gets going all right craig this was uh this was interesting as always when it gets to the, mm-hmm. uh, the coyotes off season and now of course we got the stanley cup starting up so um i guess do i have to credit jamie eisner he was here for a little bit so is in there a movie called you you were never really here joaquin phoenix yeah <laughs> probably if there is a movie like that it definitely let's, had joaquin let's just call phoenix. the podcast that you were never really here and put a mug of jamie up <laughs> okay all right for whatever was here of jamie eisner and craig morgan thanks to jeremy rutherford for joining us i'm luke lipinski thanks to you for listening to the natural hattrick podcast